Hi, my name is Deborah Ogden and I would like to welcome you to On Brand With. Through this podcast, I want to bring you into my world of personal brand and impact and hopefully bring it to life through the experiences of me and my guests. Over the coming episodes, I will talk to a range of people I know and admire and ask them about the different ways they use their personal brand, the positive benefits it can bring and what best practice looks like in the real world. So today's conversation, we're going to do things a little bit differently because... um, I had a chat with uh, Lynn, my lovely guest today, a few weeks ago, and she was she'd listened to the Paul Dodd podcast, and she made a comment that she was interested in some of the things we talked about about personal branding, how it's not superficial, that it's very much about being authentic. Now I've known Lynn for, gosh, how long? Oh, five, five, six, six years. Seven, yeah. And she is definitely one of my trusted circle. If I ever need to, if I'm ever challenged, I go to Lynn. If I ever need any um, insight, I go to Lynn. If I'm ever struggling, I go to Lynn. If I want to celebrate something and say, guess what? (laughs) I go to Lynn. And uh, she's an absolute superstar. But I was a little taken aback that in all our conversations, it hadn't come across that the way I feel about personal branding really is from the inside out rather than the tactics that people often think about. So when we were thinking about who to talk to next, I was really keen to talk to Lynn. And Lynn is actually going to be a guest down the line because she is now a published author. Um, We will talk about that in, in a few minutes. But I thought it would be good to really explore what personal branding is to me and how I help my clients and I thought actually there'd be no better one better to have that conversation with than you Lynn and so we're going to turn the tables a little bit today and Lynn's actually going to ask me some questions actually it'll be more of a conversation but ask me some conversations about the way I work so I'm going to let you tell everybody about your background, Lynn, because you've got this fabulous background in coaching and leadership and sales. So. Oh, gosh. Um, I'm so blushing. Thank you, Deborah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, one of the best times in my life was meeting Deborah, oh. and that was when I was very first starting out in the coaching world. And um, I came from a sales background, so I was a, a, working for a massive brand, actually, a big red brand. And I'd, um, in, as an account director, and I decided to change course through that career and to become a coach. So I met Deborah through a mutual friend of ours, Paul Craig. That's right. Thank, thanks to Paul. Um, and we just hit it off immediately. And I, I, Deborah was always a kind of person I was attracted to because of your upbeat nature and someone I really aspire to be like, because I'll be really honest. Personal branding to me was something that I was a little bit shy of. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, although I've had an extrovert job and, you know, done some big extrovert things inside, I'm quite a shy person. So yeah. I'm always trying to 
um, make sure I'm wearing the right things and saying the right things and being with the right people, I guess. Um, but when I met Deborah, it was really, um, or you, sorry, <laughs> um, it was just fascinating to meet someone who was real, but also had a fantastic brand, if you like, or a fantastic presence. Um, so that's why I loved meeting you. I think we bring that out in each other though don't you and I think as our friendship has grown I can remember that very first meeting up at um, the Cedar Court at Ainley, Ainley Top and I think about that meeting and we had that immediate connection then and um, for me that's what this is all about really it, it's connecting with people because even in this world of online on Instagram online programs it's still about Know, the cliche people by people but it's still that connection of two people mm. and um I don't know if we feed off each other our enthusiasm our passion we have so many similar um areas of interest and I think similar values similar beliefs but it very quickly became a friendship rather than a, a working yeah. relationship yeah it, it, I think we kind of started out thinking there may be some kind of working relationship but that soon got overtaken by friendship which I'm very blessed with very happy about and we've we've ended up working with very similar people as well haven't yeah. we that again Paul Dodd that yeah. uh, the previous uh, the podcast I did a few weeks ago but again he's that type of person that is very much values driven and has that enthusiasm for life Paul Craig as well yeah I think it's true when you look at your group of your friendship group or your group of people who you're attracted to they say like attracts like don't they and who was it who said something like you're the average of the people you hang out with yeah, um, which I think is funny. also true. You know, this morning before you came in, I was I was writing a post because I'd been with my accountant yesterday, and Debbie is so much more than just my accountant, and we were planning, and I was thinking about that very quote, and I couldn't remember who said it, and I was looking, and I saw that Richard Branson had said, "Surround yourself with people who bring out the best in you," and and that's a little bit yeah. what we're talking about here. Yeah. But the personal branding side of things, um, when we first met, it was something that I really shied away from, that whole idea of it, because working at that time, I'd just come from a global brand. Mm -hmm. And for me, branding was all about image. It was about how you present yourself. The company I worked at even had brand police, if you like, inside. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, to the point where there was a brand manual and if you were writing an email, certain fonts and certain styles. And mm. so it wasn't particularly descriptive, but the but working for a huge brand, it was still, um, you felt like it was very important that you fit in and you, you know, you want to fit in, don't you, to be honest, wherever you're working. Um, so when you and I met and you, and I knew you was a brand consultant, I'll be honest, at first I thought, this is about what you wear. It's about, you know, do you get your nails done and <laughs> your hair's got to be a certain way and, you know, you've got to present yourself. And as someone who's happy in pyjamas and Ugg slippers, <laughs> um, you know, to me that was a bit of a... a, a, a um, bit of a disconnect, a disconnect. I suppose, yeah. Yeah, and, but knowing the work you did, and as I got to know you over the years, I realised that it, it was more than that. Obviously, it's yeah. a lot deeper than that. And, you know, talking about some of the shared, convers uh, the shared coaching experiences we've had, mm -hmm. I realised it was much, much deeper than that. But the thing that really sparked it big time for me was listening to you and Paul Dodd speaking. Mm -hmm. 
and and listening to this thing about authenticity and values and the inner you and how that is about personal brand, how that shines through, a massive penny dropped at that yeah. point because I thought I get it now. Yeah, this it's isn't that about trust, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And and people talk about authenticity and they talk about um, values and. They're hard to see in everyday life, aren't they? They're hard to, you know, everyone goes, oh, I'm very authentic or I'm, you know, um, a val- I work off my values and principles, but how does it actually show up in everyday life? And I think the work you do um, really helps people to shine from inside out rather than from outside out, if that makes sense. Yeah, because we can tell when people aren't being authentic. I mean, sometimes people will say to me, well, I don't know what my values are. I don't know what my authentic self is and Mm. and what that looks like and often people want to skip that bit of the work as well Mm. because I've I've just got um I'm just working with a a new client at the moment and um by uh he's out in in the far east and um he is keen to get onto what i would call the the tactics so it's very much about looking at a marketing plan and how do i get my name out there and what platforms should i be talking on and, and what content should i be sharing and i said but before we do that that's the tactics that's how we get it out there so when i talk about my three c's of clarity communicate capitalize that's the capitalizing but before you can do any of that, you have to have that brand message. And, mm. you know, again, it sounds very corporate all of a sudden, but um, it's just about how do you want people to experience you? And I suppose if there's one line that, that sums it up, it's um, how do you want people to talk about you? How do you want people to describe you? And what is it about you that makes you special and that can only come from Mm. inside if that's going to be the true person that you are so that's um i'm really interested in how you get people to 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 step back because i think one of our shared books that we both love is simon shinnick start with why Mm -hmm. and over the work that i've been doing i've realized that the purpose and the why of somebody is so important and as children we say why all the time we ask why all the time don't we and children are so authentic aren't they they, they don't Absolutely. have the corporate mask on the corporate mm-hmm. suit they are so themselves until they start to get conforming and, and you know being influenced by certain other groups etc so um so i think that we already have that why inside but how do you help people step back and explore that so they can bring that into the now well and i you know as i'm saying this i think this started with a conversation that you and i had many years ago but it's as if we're like an onion and you have that core of the onion mm. and that's how we start off and there's that authentic self so that's that's the child and then we have these experiences we have life we have education we have um well-meaning parents that advise and we start to put on these skins these layers that that and and some people have more skins on their onion than others and it's virtually peeling those skins away and it's asking people to step back but look at 
you know, when are you at your happiest? When are you at your most inspired? What do you truly love doing? And this isn't just in a work environment, but how do you spend your time? And, you know, it's interesting when we were talking about the energy at the beginning, because um, I think people would think that I'm quite extrovert because, um, you know, I, I love a chat and I'm high energy and I'm enthusiastic. But actually, I'm at my happiest when I shut the door at night and I'm with Oscar and Paul and, you know, or when we're on holiday and we're away from it all. And actually I get my, I recharge my batteries very mm. much from that um, time behind closed doors. So it, it's having the time to reflect and think, okay, where do I get my inspiration? But where do I get my energy from? Mm. So do you help your clients to to create space in the life to interrupt the patterns and habits and routines that they have? Absolutely. And it's talking to them. So really talking to them about what makes them tick. One thing we do that is incredibly powerful is writing a life script. So getting them to write a story of, and, and there are no rules, and it's very much like journaling. A lot of people will journal, but write a life script of where they see their life going and what what. And it's about goals and ambitions, but we don't put those labels on it. And that can be incredibly powerful. Um, had a wonderful client who came back to me and said, "You know what, Deborah, I've been driving myself along a path for one outcome, and actually, when I've come to write down all my dreams and." And isn't it funny how you put a word like dream rather than mm, goal? Mm. Um, when I follow the path of my dreams, then that doesn't feature. So why am I getting myself so mm. embroiled, so stressed sometimes, the anxiety, when actually um, the reality of what my why is, what I really want is something very different. So there are lots of different tools, different people, everybody's different. So different mm. people have different triggers that it's a that I'm able to unpick things in different ways. So when somebody has a breakthrough thought or a moment on one of your programs or in a conversation with you, how do you help them to make the physical change or make brave steps or or for that thing to stick so they don't revert back to type if you like or back to the back to the pattern they used to yeah well i always say because i think part of that personal brand and that myth around fake it till you make it and yes there is a little bit of that but this superficial Instagram has meant that we have, um, I mean, we've just laughed, haven't we? I said, oh, move that kettle out yeah, of shot yeah. while you're doing the video um, because we want everything to look perfect and look nice, or I do. Maybe that says a lot about me. And um, But actually, this isn't about that facade. This is about that inner person mm. shining through. And um, so it's not about changing people. It's about finding that I believe everybody has huge potential in them mm -hmm. and not everybody can see that so it's finding what that is and, and bringing it out and therefore it's taking nudges small steps because if you say to somebody okay 
we're going to take you so far out of your comfort zone then they're going to come running back and mm. you know from we both yeah. know this from coaching don't we that they'll just retreat yeah so really tiny steps and actually the difference between okay and reaching potential actually is usually a very small amount of mm. change in behaviors and so just by awareness a lot of time that can, just by having awareness i think that changes a lot of people's behaviors but it's the long term um what's the word i'm looking for that the long term not accountability but the long term continuity of those yeah. behaviors then because any brand isn't it yeah. you, you know you've got to be consistent yeah. over time so it's about owning those changes and that's where the fake it till you make it sometimes falls mm. down it's funny you mention it shining through i interviewed john stanworth a mutual friend of ours recently yeah. well who you put me in touch with thank you yes stanny stanny and um we were interviewing him for a book we've got coming out in the next few months and it was about um, choosing to be a coach and you know what advice would he give to someone who's setting out to be a coach and it was really fascinating when he said you've got to be really clear on why you're going into this. And is this in sport particularly? In anything, any okay, coaching. Right, okay. uh, and it could be any job if you think about mm, it but be mm. really clear what what why are you doing it? Mm. Because he said, if you're not, that will shine through. If you're doing it for money or you're doing it for status mm. or you're doing it for, you know, some other reward, then that will probably shine through. But if, you, if you're doing it for a purpose that you really feel strongly about inside, then that shines through in everything you do. And I guess yeah. that's what you're saying about a personal brand. If it's coming from totally within... Yeah. then that's going to shine through in, and be consistent in your behaviours then, isn't it? Yeah, and that, I mean, I told this story when we were talking to Paul Dodd, but, um, you know, I've hinted at this before and I've fallen foul of it because even though I've immersed myself in this mm. for nearly 10 years in my own business but have worked in this area in, in previous roles as well, there have been times in my uh, life where, you know, that, good enough am I good enough oh, yeah. here and this is where it all stems from virtually every client that that crosses my door is either struggling with self-belief somewhere or uh, confidence and it, once you believe in that brand um, in some ways I'm, I'm I, I like to use the word impact as well because for me I feel a bit restrained by yeah. the word the words personal branding because it for me it's the impact that we have on every single person and I, I often say to um, people if there's somebody else in the room you can't not make an impact on them so it's the type of impact you're making and actually how you behave, how you show up, your energy, your communication, either verbal, non-verbal, all the things that sit with impersonal branding mm. in, in my book are actually impacting on other people. And that's where the people, um, I can't remember the, the phrase that you used before, but we like people like us. People like the same type of people. We're attracted to we're attracted to the same mind, like-minded people, aren't we? Absolutely, and and it's that um, when when I had a conversation with Barbara Nixon um, in in the previous podcast, we talked about 
bringing your true self to work and mm. that vulnerability because that's where people connect mm. connect that's how we build trust isn't it it is and if you work in one of the uh, challenges is if you work in a big corporate um, or even a small company I guess the culture of that company is really important because it may well be something that suits your nature and suits your inner self if you mm. like but also plenty of times from my experience there are people wearing masks there are people trying to fit in yeah. trying to conform trying to be the perfect corporate person and that leads to a disconnect and mm. there's been plenty of times when um you've just thought to yourself there's something going on with that with that person i don't know what it is but there's just something that's not right yeah and chances are it's probably that the culture isn't suiting their nature yeah. and they're having to put this effort in. And once there's effort required, then the, the authenticity goes. And so that leads me to another question, actually. How do you help somebody who's working in a big corporate or, or even a culture that's mm. a very defined culture and they want to belong, they want to fit in, which is normal human behaviour, um, but you want them to be themselves, their authentic self, when really their authentic self might not be in alignment with that culture. And, you know, this is such a huge challenge because often when I'm working with business owners that are talking about culture, the culture is only as good as the people in it. So in an ideal world, wouldn't it be fabulous if you had all these people these the, the team that were able to be authentic and we wouldn't be employing you know we have this unconscious bias and mm -hmm. and you know this brings in challenges around diversity etc but we tend to employ and recruit people like us as well so you cultures grow in that way but actually the culture grows, I think, I think people have this, and I know you've done so much work around culture, but the culture is about how people behave within, mm -hmm. within a business. And uh, that often comes from the top as well. But for me, I do think, and I have had this experience where I've been coaching people, and through their coaching they have actually said, I'm never going to fit in here. Mm -hmm. And they've actually left that organisation. So that's a tricky conversation I think sometimes. I think that's such an important thing, though, if you can get someone to actually examine it, because most of the time people are going along totally unconscious of this fact. Mm. So they might have personal habits, you know, maybe not being healthy or self-medicating with mm. chocolate or whatever, you know, wine, Why? whatever it is. <laughs> um, and so you know, they might be unconscious, but I think inviting someone to examine these questions and and bring it to the surface and then make a choice is probably far healthier than leaving that thing just underground and, and unsaid, if you and, like. And often it's a little bit like being in a bad relationship and people mm -hmm. feel that they are doing something wrong because they're not fitting this culture. And actually, once you can explain that this is about values and that trigger so people will often say to me but how do I know what my values are and I have an exercise about going through values and you physically I have them all written on on little what my mum used to call flashcards when I was learning my spellings and you have to throw your values away you have to throw cards away so people get really twitchy about throwing away I don't know enthusiasm 
or um, reputation or whatever it may be because we all assume that our values are the same as everybody else's Mm. and I try and get them to narrow it down to 10 but really narrow it down to five and those are the core values that are what you would take a bullet for absolutely exactly and so one of mine is respect and I know that when I see somebody not being respectful Mm. or then my heckles are up straight away Mm. and it's that feeling of your heart races that little bit more and and Mm. it's a physical manifestation isn't it within your body when your your values are crossed so but because we're immersed in a coaching world you forget that actually a lot of people don't have that understanding of what Mm. values are and therefore just by having a conversation and identifying when people have had these experiences all of a sudden you can pick up a a trail of oh that that's happened quite a few Mm. times and when I worked for that organization where I was micromanaged then I, I felt really uncomfortable but when I got a new manager who allowed me that little bit more freedom mm. uh, and you start to, through experience, be able to pick out a, a, a um, thread yeah. and help people see that. The other thing I, I talk to clients, though, about is for me, and, and this is something that I think you introduced me to about that came from Jonathan Field and his good life project about the cups and the buckets and you have to have that balance so I've had other clients who are working in perhaps a very well paid um, profession that they've spent a lot of time studying for but actually what we've done is reduced managed to reduce their working week down to four out of five days but on that fifth day that they fill their culture bucket Mm. their creativity bucket and by um, flipping it a little bit so that the day job becomes a way of facilitating that more creative lifestyle outside mm. work and and then they and can't even say it, enabling that then all of a sudden the the day job becomes a little bit more manageable yeah. i've also witnessed um people creating micro cultures within the bigger cultures and in fact the best leaders i've worked for have done exactly that Mm. so they kind of um protect you from the wider culture okay so when you're working within their micro culture that they've chosen and decided to create they still conform they still answer to the bosses and they still walk the talk and you know Mm. do the meetings and etc but in their team they set their own culture Wow. And I found that absolutely liberating to work for somebody yeah. as strong, the strong leaders, because they recognize that the wider culture is a difficult one. It's tricky. Um, not everyone fits in, mm-hmm. but they create their own mini culture or micro culture. And you know, it's still challenging. It's still the still um, respect and values that you have to, uh, you know, live by. Yeah. Um, but I find that fascinating and something that I think we could all look at, even if we're in businesses that we don't exactly think are perfect for us so so do you in your experience then i love that idea does that become because the outward so just winding back a minute i I get incredibly frustrated you'll work with a business and they say oh yes we've got our values deborah they're all on the wall out in reception and we live by our values but actually when you dig deeper people 
those values are just words and they don't understand how that translates into behaviours. But if you've got this micro culture there, um, people will be able to see what that looks like from behaviours. And my immediate response to that is, oh, I want to be part of that team. Yeah. And you would think that starts to have a, a knock on of it. I'm thinking, I don't know why I'm so visual, but I'm thinking of a beehive here and you've got, you know, the hive and you've got the other bees coming yeah. over saying, oh, I want a bit of that. And is that what happens? Yeah, because that, the person who's creating the microculture becomes very successful because mm. he, he or she attracts the best people. They have a reputation for, it's great to work for that guy, mm. you know, or it's great to work for that, that lady. And um, what they do is they clear the path for you to be the best possible version of yourself. Mm. So I'll give you a very small example of that. Again, for the book, we um, I interviewed Nikki Burrell. Mm-hmm. He's a, a Paralympic um, sailor yes he won he won a medal in in rio and we were talking about his best coaching experiences mm. and he said he's nicky himself wasn't particularly um keen on preparing the boat and you know doing all those hard making sure the masts were right and all the nitty-gritty hard work things he loved sailing that's mm. where his talent lies yeah. him and his sailing partner alexandra um, but his coach sorted all that out. He, he just created this little microculture where everything that was required for that boat to be an Olympic gold or a bronze, whatever mm. it was, um, champion, was ready for Nikki and Alexandra to sail in. So he was allowed to go... So and... Nikki, all he had to concentrate on was sailing. Yeah. yeah. Sailing the seas. What he's good at. Doing what he's really good at. And my experience is that you can have that in businesses, you can have that in corporates where... Mm. You know, there may be some politics at a higher level. Even mm. if it's only a small business, there'll be politics. And the, the great micro leader will protect you from that. Yes. The yeah. poor micro, the poor micromanaged style leader mm. will be mourning about the bosses. They'll be telling you yeah. all the bad things that are going on. So I think it's really important and very possible. And it's very, it enables people to fulfil that potential. Yeah. yeah. And you would hope that those people then progress and take that culture and move it elsewhere within the business and and hopefully it starts to... Well, when you get superstars in a business, Mm. the recruitment people identify... What it what is it about that person that is so superstar? And they start to... And then they they want to attract the same kind of talent, don't Mm. they? So the best companies I've worked with unpick what good looks like. Yes, yeah. And not just in terms of words, but behaviour. So they'll Mm. say... They'll, they'll say, that person is brilliant, but why are they so brilliant? What is it that person's doing? Mm. You know, Do they just have an innate talent that people are attracted to or do they do things? Yeah. So they unpick the inner, the inner side of that person. Yes, so yeah. what's the thought process? What are the attitudes and, and values of that person? And that's really their personal brand. Yeah, their inner, yeah. inner person. Yeah. And then they translate that into, well, what do they actually mm. do then? Mm. What do they physically do? And then they use that as a blueprint then for recruitment or for mm. talent searches. So I think once you get some nuggets of that behaviour in companies, then they want more of that, don't they? Well, of course they do. And that's, that's really interesting because... Um, Helen that I share an office with, she runs an HR consultancy and we found um, an article last week that was talking about how HR need to become more accepting of more mar- what is thought of more traditional marketing 
concepts, if you like. And and this is where brand, for me, crosses over both areas because that's when you're looking at your employer brand mm. and that you've got what are the individuals doing within the business and they are the people that are advocates for the business. So they are, you know, it's that internal audience as well as that external audience. So they are talking about the business and attracting people in. But And then flipping that, that then becomes the culture of the business, which it all joins together, doesn't it? It does, yeah. So I think it just because there's a culture as it stands today, that doesn't mean that culture has to stay. Yeah. I think any yeah. culture can be nudged along, like you said before, and uh, m- morphed into yes. something that's much healthier and yeah. liberating and free for people to be at their best. And, and you've just hinted there, and I want to talk about your book in a second, but um, about that connection with sport and business, which I know is, is the theme behind your book, but from my own experience of working in cricket... And, and professional cricket and the sport there that analogy you've just given about the boat and I can remember very much how we would uh, create an environment so that the players could just go out and do yeah. what they did best on yeah. the field and we all had a role to play within their success and I can remember it was when we were talking about investors in people and I can remember one of the um cooks one of the chefs saying well where do I fit in this you know this big vision of Lancashire County Cricket Club and Old Mm. Trafford and they said but those players can't perform unless they have the right nutrition Mm. and it's how everybody fits into that role and is valued um and and the other thing that I picked up from that is different leaders and you know I've made it clear my, my love of cricket and football, but particularly football with my beloved Huddersfield Town at the moment, you see different leaders come in, different team managers and the way they manage the team and how quickly that is very mm. apparent just on the way players play on the field, the way teams play, the way they communicate, their body language, their non-verbal communication. Yeah. And it's it's virtually, it's very tenuous, but you can feel it somehow. Yeah. I think it's so important that mm. you have um, a purpose. Yeah. It's that old That goes back to the Kennedy. why. Yeah. yeah, the old Kennedy thing at, yeah. the, at, the, um, oh, the at NASA, isn't yeah. it? Um, what's your job here? I'm putting a man on the moon. You know, it's. I think everyone needs to feel that they're doing something that's meaningful. And and I think that got, I think the money aside, that's why people go to work to do something. Yeah. And if you can help people tap into that and realise what that is and how they're supporting something much, much bigger than themselves, yeah. then that's exciting for people. That drives them. Yeah. And also it's and again this comes I suppose back to that life script I talked about. It's your own definition of success as well. What does success look like for you? What does you know, what are your drivers? What you know, for me, it has always been that flexibility. I wanted freedom, um, but for other people, it is about an empire or a lot of yeah. money or the freedom that money will give you. So it is what success looks like. So, on to your book. Gosh. So, is it May it's published? Uh, April. April, yeah. and uh, I've got it written down here to make sure i got the right <laughs> title. So, Coaching Winning Sales Teams, Insights from the World of Sport and Business, Yeah. yeah? So yeah, tell, uh, t- 
tell everybody who you've been working with as well because well, you've got some a great never, collaboration I've never you? actually set out to write a book um but I, I think I'd kind of been saying to myself um just say yes if an opportunity comes along you know <laughs> getting a bit braver about things <laughs> Um, so Tim Chapman was mm-hmm. a co- an ex-colleague of mine. We worked together. Um, Tim was head of global sales capability in Vodafone. Mm-hmm. And I was running the UK side of things. But we've known each other for years. And like you and I, we just mm-hmm. hit it off. So we kept in touch. Of uh, Tim had left to set up his own consultancy, sales consultancy. Mm-hmm. And obviously I was doing leadership coaching predominantly and some sales coaching. So um, Tim just phoned me one day and said, do you fancy writing a book? And without thinking, I just, I just said, yeah, go on then. Uh, then I said, what is it about? <laughs> Which was a bit weird, considering I just uh, said I was going to write a book with him. But All I thought, that well, that would be a fun thing to do. Um, so he said, I want to write a sales coaching book because he's now a, a lecturer at York University mm-hmm. um, on international sales. Wow. So he said, I've been trying to find a really good coaching book and I can't find one. There, there, you know, there's not anything up to date out there. So I want to write a book on how to help managers and lead, sales leaders help them how to coach. So I said, yeah, that sounds good. That's right up my street. I'll, help, I'll go along with that. But being shy, I said, you've got to be the front man. I'm just going to be like, you know, like Elton John and Bernie Taupin. I'll be Bernie Taupin in the background helping you write some lyrics. But you, you are like the front man. Don't be putting He's me on. rocket man. Don't be putting, yeah, don't be putting me on podcasts and things. Which, uh, why I'm here, here today, are. I don't here know. Here we are. Um, Arm up your back. Exactly. There's coffee and cake afterwards. Yeah, that's good. Um, so we had a meeting in a Starbucks and we thrashed some ideas around. And I'd just been listening to it at a TED talk by Atul Gawande. Okay. And he's a surgeon. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about this idea that you're not the finished article, no matter what station you are in life or what mm. station you are in your job, you're not the finished article. And that coaching is, it should be for everybody. Mm. So he himself had got a coach, another surgeon, and the surgeon had watched him operate. And the surgeon went really well. But Atul was surprised that this guy had a massive list of things he could improve on. But the thing that really got me with this talk is Atul talked about Yale and Harvard. Okay. And he talked about um, them not having coaches until one year. I think it was, I've got the, the wrong way around now, but I think Yale got a coach mm. and they started winning the series okay. consistently. Mm. So then Harvard went on to get a coach yep. and that's how yeah. sporting coaching. But he drew the analogy that in sports, coaching's normal, it's what you do, you're never the finished article. Whereas in business or in his world, in medicine, mm-hmm. you're, much, you're very much in control of your own uh, People can learning. be quite resistant, can't they? I've had very lots, resistant. You know, because that means change, it Absolutely. means a bit of criticism maybe. Mm-hmm. So this idea that in sports, coaching's normal, and in my experience in mm-hmm. the job I'd done in the, the company I was with and the same with Tim, Coaching wasn't normal. Yeah. They tried, they, you know, they taught people and there was lots of workshops, etc. but it wasn't normal. So we came up with the question then, so why is it in sports it's normal and why is it in sales it isn't? And how can we take lessons from the world of sport and translate that into business and make a book on sales coaching? So that was decided. And then we thought, right, well, we'd better get someone who's good at sports to help <laughs> us with it. So um, I happened to know Tony Smith, yes. the um, ex-Warrington Wolves rugby league coach, and he'd taken some time out of coaching, uh, sports coaching. So I'd got in touch with Tony to see if he'd help us, and it was just a perfect fit. Tony's yeah. a, an amazing coach. 
and he's also an amazing person inside and he comes from coaching from a philosophy of coach the person first yes. and the sports skill second so the three of us got together and uh, that was two years back Tim got us a publishing deal with a company called Emerald in Leeds and uh, set us a deadline of, of two years so we set about interviewing sports coaches and business yes. leaders and um, we just asked them the question about you know the philosophy on coaching and then we translated that into the sales world with some very practical down-to-earth sales techniques, if you like. So lots of stories and experiences. Yeah, there's plenty and... of stories, but we, we basically analysed the inner coach, which was mm -hmm. the most fascinating thing. So in the sports coaches we interviewed, we wanted to find out what was their approach, their attitude, their values, what, what made them the great coaches that they were. Mm. And we even interviewed David Nixon who's the artistic director of the Northern Ballet, because yeah. Tony had taken his team there. Wow. Uh, I think it was Leeds Rhinos, it might be Warrington, yeah, Warrington team, to see how ballet, how yeah. the ballet people train and work and what wow. lessons could the guys learn from that. Mm. Um, he'd also taken them to Mal Malcolm Wilstrop's squash. Um, it's a world-leading academy yes. up in Pontefract. So, so Tony was into looking at, the cross-pollination of skills from one set of disciplines to another. So we, in, in all the interviews we did, we were like, what's behind this person? What is driving them? And we, we found what we called the inner coach. Okay. Um, so we pulled all that together. And in, in the book, we said, these are the things that we found mm -hmm. drives these great coaches. And it's about emotional intelligence and putting the person first. Um, being very very self-reflective that was okay. an interesting as a thing coach. as a coach so what surprised us, me the most anyway was without exception every single coach questioned themselves mm. so if the team didn't play well or the person didn't perform well one of the very first questions was what was my part in that mm. what did I do what could what I have could done do better yeah. so this idea of the self-reflective coach came out really loud and clear. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because in business we don't tend to see that. No. We tend to have focus on the person's performance and yes. then and the how can they be adapted? How can we mm -hmm. help them get better? Um, but in, in the world of sports, the coaches themselves are as much about let's examine the coaching, let's examine the conversation. So that, if you had to take one big takeaway from the book, one thing that you learn, even with all your experience and working in different disciplines, is that what it would have been your big learning? Yeah, I think it was um, the fact that the coaching is always examined and uh, the why question is massive. Mm. So um, there's a lot of planning goes into conversations, for example. So in business, it's a very much on the fly thing. Mm -hmm. People are on autopilot a lot of the time because of the pressure. Mm -hmm. So there's no nothing wrong with that. People are very busy. They've got massive, especially in sales, huge targets, pressures. The next when's the next deal closing? Mm -hmm. um, it's the same in sport, I guess. Yeah. There's the next final coming up or the next championship, whatever it is, the next game. But lots of preparation. So, for example, Tony would always prepare for a conversation with somebody. So he, he would ask himself. Why am I asking this question? Okay. Why am I saying this to this person? So it's virtually self-coaching before you uh, yeah. coach. Yeah. And also training the or uh, helping the players to coach themselves. So using the questions why a lot of the time, the players would have this sorted themselves. So, for example, Tony talks about his perfect halftime talk. Mm. 
if he's done his job right, he walks into the dressing room and the players are all analysing the performance. They're, they're, they're questioning themselves. Without his input. Without his input. He's not right, said a yeah. word right now. He just yeah. listens. Yeah. And the most perfect time is when he can say, guys, you've got this. Because they know what to do next. They know how to adapt. They know how to... He set them up with those Because skills. through coaching, he's, at, he's used all the questions and he's used the right methods so that they now coach themselves. So that's what we wanted to translate into the book. How do we help sales managers? So we looked at behaviours as well. So mm-hmm. what these coaches actually do. But how do we get sales managers and sales leaders to actually take on board some of those principles and ideas and put that into everyday practice in a busy hectic sales environment so it was really enjoyable it was quite Mm nerve-wracking for somebody shy like me but um but have we persuaded will you come back again and talk one in may yes april i will do it is i will now now i've done my first podcast ever (laughs) and feel a little bit more comfortable about it yes i will with pleasure come back and talk about it and in a little bit more depth and we can with pleasure maybe i can have a read of it first yeah i'll send you uh, me i'll send you the kindle version Super, brilliant. Oh, well, thank you, Lynn. Oh, it's been my pleasure, absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed yeah. it and I can't wait to learn so much from the book myself. Yeah. Having spent time with sports coaches and coaching within business, I'm yeah. really looking forward to pulling those threads together and yeah. learning from it myself. So, yeah. Well, we learned a lot from it. So Always learning. It was a labour of love. Every day is a school yeah. day. Yeah, but I've loved today. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. you've enjoyed today's conversation i'd love you to join in the conversation as well and the best way to do that is through social media i can be found on instagram and twitter at do underscore impact and if you'd like to sign up to my newsletter or know more about my work please go to my website at deborahogden.com Tune in for further episodes and please subscribe and share with your colleagues and friends if you've enjoyed this podcast. Thanks for listening to On Brand With. It was hosted by Deborah Ogden and produced by me, Anthony Short. This has been an A Short Stories production.